All right, my subject this morning is kind of a play on words. Do you have the faith that works? There are millions of Christians who may know what the Bible says, but who has never, never exercised faith in what it means. In James in James 2, 19, see if I can get that up on the board. The Bible says here, you believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. So Satan and the demons, they know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. They believe that. They know that he was raised from the dead. They believe that. They know that uh, all of these things are historical facts. And one thing that we cannot deny is that they are historical facts. That Jesus Christ was born. Jesus Christ lived for 33 years and he died on the cross at Calvary. And he rose again. And Paul says that he rose where 500 people could see him. And so we all know that that is a fact. But to be saved, it involves a response to those facts. The Bible says you must be born again, that you are saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in John 14, John 14, 16, Jesus answered, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. So Christ has to be the object of our faith. We also, when we have Christ as the object of our faith, we also have truth as the object of our faith. But there seems to be a problem. When Christ is not the object of our faith, then we have a shift in, towards what we believe. And generally, when that shift, it comes, it, it comes in error. And what does error do? It puts us in bondage. The Jews have always depended upon their obedience to the law for God's righteousness and favor. In their minds... They thought it was God's desire for them just to be obedient to the law. If they were obedient to the law, then they would have favor with God. When Jesus came and he tried to make them see that God looks upon the heart and not their behavior, it was foreign to their thinking. Who would dare even say such a thing? And so... In the entire Old Testament, we find, too, that the Old Testament is 80% of the Bible which we have today. And faith is only mentioned 15 times in the Old Testament. And it has nothing to do with our relationship with God. In fact, it's, it refers to a man breaking faith with his wife or Israel breaking faith with their God. Now, the reason 
is that the object of the faith that pleases God is Jesus Christ. That must be the object of our faith. But the Bible says that it was not yet revealed. In Galatians 3.22, excuse me, but the scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin so that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So Christ had not yet been revealed. Until faith is revealed in a person, when you pick up the Old Testament, is all you do, is all you read, is all you consume, is law, law, law. You have to be obedient to what God says. It's an attitude. And what happens when you have that attitude, it develops into a desire to know God, to want God to be in your life. And so you say, all that you ask me to do, I'll do. And that's what the children of Israel, over and over and over again, all that you want me to do, I will do. So that was the attitude. But in some, in some groups today, that's still the same attitude. Sometimes I, I refer to them as red-letter Christians. Because... They only want to know what Jesus said. They believe Paul. They believe Timothy. They believe John. But the acid test, what did Jesus say? And so they want to follow that. Well, there's a problem with that. Because Jesus said you should sell everything you have, put it on Craigslist, and then follow him. Jesus says that if your right eye offend you, pluck it out. Cut your right hand off. But that's not what Jesus meant. And so the truth in our actions should be an outflow of our attitude. If we are in Christ and we are willing to respond to his leading, then we never have to worry about what we should do. Never. But the sad reality is that people that set their mind on this, 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 this mindset on whatever you want me to do, God, I will do. They know what the Bible says. Anybody can pick up the Bible and they can read it. But I venture to say that many of them have no clue on what the Bible means. You remember how the Israelites responded to Moses after he came down from Mount Sinai. The people all responded together. We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. And before Moses got off the mountain, they were having orgies and building a golden calf to a foreign god. We see this somewhat in the New Testament as well, the Galatian church. They started out wonderful. Paul preached the gospel. They accepted it. They were born again. And then they fell backwards. They began to look at their life. They couldn't figure out why they do the things that they do. They couldn't figure out why they think the things that they think. 
And so they strive and wanted to please God, and they're trying to perfect themselves. Many Christians are trying to do that today. They're trying to perfect themselves. I just heard of a survey that was taken on evangelical Christians. The Southern Baptists have a, books, a, a chain of bookstores where this was taken, where the survey was taken. Now, these were people who go to church, they study their Bible, they go to prayer meeting, and uh, they try and they live out the Christian life. Very sincere people. 56% of those surveyed believe that they had something to do with their salvation. 56%. I was shocked. I would expect that from the average Christian, but evangelical Christian, I wouldn't have, wouldn't have thought that that would be it. But 56% thought that they had a part to play in whether they would be saved or not. Now, many Christians view themselves as basically not a very good person. Now, the reason that they, they view themselves that is because it seems like Christianity is not working. It seems like the harder they try, the more tragedies happen. There was a, a fellow at the, at the weight room where I go and he was telling me about how his car, his radiator blew up, and then he was telling me all the problems he had in the last two weeks. And his response to me, of course, he knows that I was a preacher, I'm a preacher, but he, he, his response was, I must be doing something wrong. And I said, really, you, you feel that's, that's what happened? You did something wrong, but you didn't pray long enough, hard enough? What is it that you feel that you did wrong? He said, well, I, uh, my thinking and everything else like that. And then I was happy to tell him that that's common. When you have 56% of evangelical Christians who believed in once saved, always saved, feeling that they have a part to do with their salvation, there's something basically wrong. Something is not getting through. And so there's millions of Christians who feel that they're not really a good person, but they try very, very hard to be good. Well, that's interesting that they try, try, and try to be good, and yet inside they feel that they're not. And that is because of this thing that we've been talking about for the last couple months, this sin that passes through the thought pattern and causes us to be tempted to do things that we don't really want to do. Millions of folks are living their daily lives out of that conviction. They do not know of the exchanged life in Christ. People, some people have heard a little bit about it. They just think that it's too good to be true that Jesus Christ accepts you just the way you are, that he has granted you the gift of salvation, but he's also granted you the gift of righteousness. 
He's made you complete in him. The average person says, there's nothing complete about me. And so it's understandable now why people feel that way. The bottom line is, they say, if Christ is living in me, if Christ is living through me, why do I still sin? Why do I still sin? Why can't I stop? A legitimate question. So many Christians, they go out an, an all-out effort to try and please God. And some of them have come up with different formulas. They, they give the first hour to God. They give the second hour to study the Bible. They have, they have quiet time. They have all these different things in hoping that they would become pleasing to God. So what really is happening is many people, they are trying to keep God pleased with them, thinking that all these things that they do will work. But what happens is they reduce godliness to a formula. And the formula goes something like this. More right behavior, less wrong behavior, equals godliness. Well, that's the Old Testament. That's the Old Covenant. And yet we have Christians today going through the same formula, living in the Old Covenant, not even realizing it. In, in 1 Corinthians 1.30, the Bible says, It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. So this is something that has already been placed within the believer. Is God's righteousness has been placed into that believer. God's holiness, the King James calls it sanctification. Sanctified means to be set apart for holy use. So it's very plain what God has already done. And if we disregard what God has done in us, we are hiding who we truly are. And I've seen this over the years, over and over and over again. Especially about the identity in Christ. They can't comprehend it. Because they can't even comprehend what God has already done for the believer. That he's been sanctified, he's been set apart. In fact, the Bible tells us that when you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, spiritually, you have already been seated in the heavenlies. And that's why God says that you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. We need to take another look at what Scripture really says because some Christians, when they hear this, they say, yeah, that sounds good. That sounds good, that we're complete, that we're perfect forever and all that. That sounds really good. But what do you do with James? The book of James in chapter 2. What do you do with that? Because there it says that we are justified by works. And it says it three times that we are justified by works. So, 
What about that? Martin Luther, when he came to the book of James, he said, how in the world did this ever get into the canon? How did this book get into the canon? How did this book get into the Bible? Here it says, three times we are justified by works. And Martin Luther says, no, that's wrong. James has got it all wrong. Well, does he? Does he really have it all wrong? I don't think so. So, let's find out. Let's, let's read what he says. In James 2, beginning with verse 14. What good, is it, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Now, here is the primary issue in James. It has to do with our salvation. It doesn't have to do with our works. It has to do with our salvation. And he's saying, if you say that you just believe, do you, do you think that that can save you? Just, I, I just believe? Because the devils believe too. And so he goes on. And he says, suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you say to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does, not have, but does nothing about what their physical needs and goods is, in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith. I have deeds. I have works. Show me your faith without works, without deeds. And I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God. Good, even the demons, they believe that and shudder. Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture, <clears throat> scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see, that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As a body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. It's very plain. We cannot get around it. In James, justification, meaning being righteous with God, according to him, is by his works. Now, some Christians who are really into faith, by grace, they, they try to work around this somehow, and they say, well, yeah, we're saved by grace, but we are kept saved 
through obedience. And that's why you find 56% of evangelical Christians saying that they have something to do with their salvation. But it makes sense. Because if you're in Christ, you will do good works. So it does make sense to somewhat that we, that we are saved by grace and, and yet our works will follow. But this is not what the Bible is saying. The Bible is not going in that direction. We're trying to make the Bible go into that direction, but it's not. Justification before God is the focus in James 2. The question is, can faith save us? And no matter how you want to look at it, the act of salvation is the question in James 2. So what does it mean? Is James right? Are we justified, reckoned righteous before God? Is that what he really means to say? Well, if you ask Paul, Paul says, no way. You ask James, and James says, way. So we have a problem. Romans 8, 30, or excuse me, Romans 3, 28. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Now, Paul says this over and over and over and over again. So, is there a conflict between Paul and James? Justified by faith, says Paul. Justified by works, says James. So where do we go for the answer? Do we simply get a commentary and look up all, <clears throat> every place in the Bible where it says works? Every place in the Bible where it says faith? No, we don't. James proposes the question. And so we need to let James answer the question. We let him answer it. So we're going to take a little bit of a closer look how James defines work. And you know, it's interesting that at prayer meeting, I asked about work, uh, works and uh, faith and works. And I think it was Larry who said, when I asked him about works, he said, well, it, you have to define works. And that is so true. We have to look at it as what Paul was referring to as works. Does he mean the works of the law? Is that what Paul, is that, is that what James means? Excuse me. Is he saying that it's a lifetime achievement award? Is that what he's saying? Or is it something else? Well, We'll look at it. James 2, 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac, his son, upon the altar? So, was, what, was, what was Abraham justified by? Well, the Bible says works. When? When he offered up Isaac. Now, how many times did Abraham offer up Isaac? Once, once. And how about Rahab? Rahab 
In the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute. Now, she didn't have a legend of a lot of good works being a prostitute. So here she was, Rahab the prostitute, considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. So, how was Rahab justified? Well, the Bible says by works. And when was she justified? When she opened the door to let the spies out. When she listened to what God said, and then she responded. Abraham was justified by listening to God and then responding. So, here we have it. Works did not in James refer to a lifelong record of works. In fact, it was one work. Abraham listened to God and responded. Rahab listened to God and she responded. It is a matter of prove. It is, it, excuse me. It is not a matter of trying to prove your faith on how much you do. Because how much is enough? We do so many works. How much is that? Is it a hundred good works? Is it twenty hundred? Is it two thousand good works? Is it two thousand good works? How many good works are enough? No, the Bible spells it out for us in Ephesians two ten. For we are Christ, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we were created to do good works. So does Paul disagree with James? No. Does James disagree with Paul? No. They're talking about two different situations. And so it completely harmonizes. James, in his situation, when he wrote that letter, there was a lot of Jews saying that they were Christians and then they were going to the temple. They were covering themselves. You know, like a lot of people do today. They cover themselves. They don't know. They don't, they don't necessarily know for sure that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. But they will say that just to cover themselves. Well, maybe it is true. I was listening to a theologian from North Carolina. And he was going on and on about, uh, about Jesus Christ. And he was presenting some of the questions. And I thought to myself, as he was presenting some of these questions, he's struggling with whether he really believes it or not. He's really struggling with this. And there are a lot of people that are really struggling with the reality of God, with the reality of Jesus Christ going to the cross, paying the penalty for our sins. They're struggling with that. They don't know whether to believe it or not. They hear so many different voices out here. And so they're not sure. Listen. When you open the door of your heart, when you ask Jesus Christ to come into your life, he came in and he saved you. Now, you may not understand exactly what he did. 
You may not understand this whole thing about sanctification, justification, and you may not understand all that, but whether you understand it or not, it happened to you. In 2 Timothy 2.13, it says here, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he, he cannot disown himself. When you and I accepted Christ as our personal Savior, we invited him into our life. Now Christ lives in us, and his desire is to live through us. Now, that is a given. Whether you believe it or not, it's a given. It's a fact. This is what Jesus Christ said himself. So it is a fact. Now, the problem is that we have problems believing it. And notice what John says. John 6, 28. Then they ask him, what must we do to do the works that God requires. That's pretty plain, isn't it? What do we have to do? And notice what Jesus answered was. Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Christ must be the object of our faith. He must be the object of our faith. Now in John 10, John 10, 28 says this, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. So do we have the faith that works? You bet we do. You bet we do. It all started with us giving the invitation, but excuse me, it all started with us responding to the invitation that God gave us. The Bible says the Holy Spirit has been poured out upon all flesh. And so God is going to appeal to every man, woman, and child born or ever been born. He's going to appeal to them in some way. And we have the option to respond. And the Bible says, and James says that if we respond, we are sealed under the day of redemption. The Bible is very clear. It makes it very plain. It started with us responding to the invitation that God gave to us. And now we are maturing in Christ. And that is a lifetime experience. I don't believe that there's any human being that's going to come to the place that they're going to say, I got it all. I understand it all. It just doesn't happen that way. Jesus taught us that our efforts would, focus, would be focusing not on sinning, but on loving each other. That's where our focus will be. And if we love each other, believe me, we will sin less. Most of us miss what the greatness looks like to God. You know, there's some of us that have lived a pretty long life so far. And when we look back at life, it is tempting. It is tempting to look back and, and think, you know, I really haven't achieved 
what, what I would have liked to achieve in life. And they began to kind of quantify what greatness really is. Is it money? Is it status? Is it influence that we may have on some people? Is that what I missed in life? In some way, did God not give me what I really wanted in life? Did I lose God's support for me? It's just like that fellow said, everything went wrong in the last two weeks. I wonder what I did wrong. Well, how about 50 years? How about 60 years? How about 70 years? I wonder what went wrong. This is a cultural distortion of the gospel. To think that if we do everything right, God is going to make sure that nothing happens. And that's developed from the prosperity gospel. It's all you have to do is everything that God says to do and your life is going to be a bed of roses. Believe me, it doesn't happen that way. The quality of your life is based in trusting Jesus Christ. The quality of your life is placing your belief system in Jesus Christ, he must be the object of your belief. And when he is, he promises that no matter what we go through, no matter what comes our way, he says, I will be with you always, even to the very end. The power of the gospel is not wealth, status, and all that. That's not the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel is to just live a normal life and having things happen to us, but going through trusting and believing that Christ is right with you. He's living in you, and he's living through you. Living out the gospel is going to the grocery store and being kind and considerate to the teller. Living out the gospel is being happy. Living out the gospel is telling others in your actions how much you love God. You don't have to say it in words. It's your actions that, that tell the whole story. When we love more, we will sin less. We will sin less. So our focus is not on sinning. Our focus is on Christ. Our focus is on Christ and what he has done for us, what he's doing in us, and what he does daily through us. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we praise you and we thank you for all the blessings that you've given to us. We thankful, we're thankful that we can trust and rest in your Son, Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, help us understand that no matter what our situation is, no matter what our circumstances is, we have it all. We have Christ's righteousness. We have been sanctified, set apart, We've been seated in the heavenlies. Lord, we thank you for the life that you have given to us. Now bless us, I pray. Meet the needs that we have as you promised you would. We thank you and we praise you. We ask all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ.
Amen.